Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. I, one of my first jobs that I worked um, right as I was like 18 to about 21, uh, no, it was a little later than that. I guess I was like 19 to like 22 because I was still married when I was working there. And that is, I was working at a waterproofing basement company called Dry Right. Dry Right, but it's D-R-I for some odd reason because whatever. And what we would do is we would waterproof basements. How many of you guys actually have a basement on your house? All right. So if you have a basement... I can put it back down. And it's ever leaked before, raise your hand. I'm not trying to get business. I don't work for them anymore. Okay, you can put it back down. So there's all kinds of reasons that it could be leaking. And my boss would take me with him to try to, he was hoping I'd waterproof basements for the rest of my life. He'd take me with him to like kind of see how. Like for instance, if you like have a holly tree or holly bush beside your house, that's probably the reason it's leaking because of how the roots work and they start cracking through the concrete or cinder block walls and all that kind of stuff. So we would go in with this big backhoe and dig out the entire house all the way down to the bottom, um, which is the footer of the house. And the footer usually has a footer drain. I know this is so interesting to you. Trust me, you'll be able to dig out your own house when I explain this to you, just kidding. So there'd be like a big black pipe there with slots in it so that the water can drain out and go outside of your house and it won't saturate and go through the basement. However, those end up clogging up so you have to pile like gravel on top of those. The more gravel, the longer it'll take before your basement leaks. But we would also put tar on the house. And so back then people would brush, and they still do, brush tar on the house, which is eh, it's okay. It hardens, the house starts settling. What happens when the house settles? You ever see anything happen to the wall? The little cracks form and everything? Well, if you brush on the tar, the tar cracks too. So it's only waterproof for that like year that they give you a year warranty on your home. Then the next year you're like, why is there water in the basement? Call the homo, I mean, call the builder. And they're like, it's already been a year. So we sprayed on this rubberized tar that would never cure. It would never harden all the way. So when your house settled and the cracks happened, this could stretch up to like two and a half inches with your house. So if if you have a crack bigger than two and a half inches, get out of the house. It's falling in. So like this is, this is pretty good stuff, right? And then we would, after we did the rubberized tar, we'd put the styrofoam dowel board against it with these little grooves to help the water go down. And then we would backfill dirt against it. Um, sometimes, if they didn't pay for the full styrofoam treatment, we used tar paper, like you put down before you put shingles on a roof. And we put the tar paper on there, we'd roll it out. This is to protect it when we're backfilling because there's rocks and everything that can just, you're pushing it in with a bulldozer and there it goes. And like, then all of a sudden it pulls the tar off. So we'd put this as a, a protective barrier. <coughs> so we're getting ready to go to lunch one day. And this is already like, we've already put the tar paper there and I need more money. So I tell them I'm gonna work through lunch. Somebody has to watch the dirt. You might wonder why we're watching the dirt. It's not alive or anything. But after we were done and we backfilled it and everything, we planted their plants back. And we had, we had had this issue that you'd plant the plants back. If you ever put dirt in a hole, anybody ever dug a hole and tried to put the dirt back in it? Does it all fit in the hole again? No. no. There's air in the dirt and everything it takes a while for it to settle. So we would plant everything back. It looked perfect. And they'd call us in six months and be like, why are my bushes sinking? 
because everything settled and now there's like a hole and water's gathering and it was bad. So we sped up the process before we would plant their plants back. We would take their garden hose and their, their money, basically their water, and we would just wet it down for a couple hours. And we would attach it to like a PVC pipe and stick it down in there and just add water and we'd watch it all start to shrink. And then when it shrank enough, we put the last bit of dirt in and planted their bushes back. Genius, all right? And so I'm there just watering it down, making sure it's all evenly watered. <coughs> and I notice, I notice a problem. As the dirt's settling, and it's settled over a foot so far, as I'm just watering this down where everybody else is eating somewhere, and I'm all like, yeah, this is fun and everything, I notice that it's starting to pull the tar paper off the wall, this protective barrier. And it's stuck to the tar, and the tar's not, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Oh, you can just enjoy it. Here we go. <coughs> there we go. We got it all cleared up, and you all got to enjoy that, all right? You might need to clean this thing. Now, I like these better than handheld microphones because ever since I grew my beard out, occasionally I'll be talking, and I'll be like, Yah! it'll grab a beard hair, and over a week of camp, the next guy who doesn't have a beard, it could tickle him. Like if he gets it too close to his chin, he's like, what is that? This is, it's kind of weird. It's my beard, all right? I left some behind just so you'd remember me. So here's what happened. I go over there. I'm like climbing over into the dirt that is now essentially quicksand. I stick my foot in to reach over and with my long arm, put the tar paper back up and my foot goes like, Phew. and I'm like, oh gosh. And so like, I'm trying to put pressure here, but my foot's back on the dry ground. I'm like, this isn't gonna work. I pull my foot over and as I pull it up and it does come up some, the other one goes down and everybody's gone. They're like taking an hour lunch, going somewhere nice. So this is gonna help me kind of demonstrate what happened. Uh, 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 uh. I made this myself, I'm so crafty. Anyways, so as I start to do this, like start to just, Real, look down and realize that now my ankles are like ankle deep in mud. I'm like, oh goodness, come on. Now I'm facing the wall here just for your benefit so you don't have to look at my rear the whole time. All right, so I just pull like that and I kind of push and everything and I'm like, this is not working out for me. This is also backwards. It looks much better this way. This is the way it was intended to be seen. It took a long time. There's staples involved. I drilled a hole, two holes. I cut string, I tied knots. I found scrap fabric in the house. All right, anyway, so, right. I know, I'll be teaching crafting later. How to immerse yourself in mud and stay clean. All right, so, I start, I start trying to get out of this and for some reason, I think that working harder and really giving it a like heave ho, you know, like I'm gonna keep this, I think I'm feeling something solid there, like a, there might be a rock under there, this is the moment. I'm gonna pull this one out and I'm like, I'd go like that and this side would just go like a ton deeper in there and I'm like, this is stupid. I can't, I'm the new guy. The other guys are in their 40s, I think. They could have been in their 30s, but I was younger, so they looked ancient. You know how it is, right? So you're probably like, yeah, that's a good, this is a good story, 60-year-old. No. Um, so like, I'm trying to get out of this. I'm just going back and forth, back and forth. Pretty soon I'm to my waist in it, and I'm still thinking, this is stupid. I grab like this root on the side. I'm trying to pull myself, and I keep doing this, and now I'm starting to kind of panic a little bit. I don't know what time it is because my cell phone is in my pocket. 
All right? So I, I dig down in my pocket. I pull out the cell phone, and I'm like, I don't even know what this says. I'm wiping it on my shirt and everything, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they've only been gone for 10 minutes. <laughs> 10 minutes. It's an hour at least where they go. They have the slowest waitresses. It's so stupid. Anyway, and I, I, I start struggling a little bit. At that point, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to move anymore because that's dumb. And I had never really thought outside of when I was like six. <clears throat> when I was six, I thought quicksand would be a way bigger problem in my life than it's been. Because every cartoon, Tom, whether it was Tom and Jerry or Bugs Bunny or whoever, they always end up in quicksand somewhere. It's weird, like Scooby and Shaggy are like, oh no. And so here I am, I'm like, I'm just not gonna move. Not moving in this mess, I start sinking. I look over, I'm like, well, how is this still happening? The water hose, which I conveniently stuck in that PVC pipe and just shoved it down in the ground before I went over to do this so it wouldn't spray all over the yard, is still saturating the ground I'm in. There's a good nine feet of dirt that I can sink down into if it gets soppy enough. And it's bad. It's getting like soppy. Like there's puddles around me. I can't even push down with my hand or anything. Or it would just get my, I'm like, I got to keep my arms out of this. I got to keep my arms out. Is there anything else important in my pockets? No, I'm just going to leave them there. So by the time these guys get back, it's up to my chest. And I uh, don't need the string anymore. It's up to my chest and it's getting harder to breathe because you have to expand your chest to breathe. And I'm starting to be panicky. So even panicking, I'm just kind of shaking and it's semi-cold in the wet soppiness in the shade on the backside of the house. And so this is like in the fall as well, not in the summertime. So I'm kind of cold. So my shivering is sinking me. It's like, no, stop, hold yourself still. And I'm like, this is not good at all. And, oh, look, I'm out. <laughs> Just kidding, my feet are out. I should have got longer fabric. I hear the truck pull up and I hear them talking and I've got my hands outside of this. Occasionally I'll put them down in there and kind of pull them back out because it's not the same. And I'm just like, this is horrible, this is horrible, this is horrible. And I'm like, help, guys, in the back. They come around there. I have to swallow my pride here because you got these two guys who have both, one of them served in Korea, so I guess they really were old, and one served in Vietnam. They're older guys. Um, at the time, they weren't that old. Like, if you've served in Korea or Vietnam now, they're really old, but they, these guys, probably in their 50s, maybe one in their 60s at the time, they just ran the equipment and put the younger guys, the younger guys who are with them too, who are closer to my age, they're laughing their heads off. They're doubling over and everything. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy. I'm like, please get me out of here. Like, I don't, my parents don't even know what address I'm at right now. Like, this is, I could have been gone and you guys just thought I went home. If you guys had been one half hour later, I'd be submerged and you'd plant a bush on my head, you know? <clears throat> so, they bring the backhoe bucket over, I grab onto that and they start pulling. And I start to move a little bit, but there's so much suction from the mud and the water that my leg, like it straightens out my ankle and then it feels like it's gonna just separate my foot from my leg. And so I start screaming, stop! And they don't hear me, so I just let go. And I just, like really, like really deep, like They're like, why'd you let go? That's stupid. I'm like, I, you're gonna pull me apart. <laughs> like there's, it's, it's, you're pulling, the ground is pulling, somebody's trying to kill me, right? <laughs> 
And so this time, one of them gets a bright idea. Let's use the PVC pipe. It's too thin with the hose. So they go get another one. It's about that big around. And they start poking it near me, all right? Because they need to add air to it so you can get some of the suction out of it. You ever tried to like, there's a suction cup or something like really stuck to something and you just have to get, lift a little piece of that suction cup to let a little bit of air in and then the suction's gone. That's what they need to do. And so they're just like, they scraped the side of my, my leg with one of them. I'm like, too close, right? And they keep going around it and everything. And I'm like, please, please, just keep it like near me, but not near me, you know what I mean? And so finally I'm pulling onto this thing. They've got slight pressure they're doing that. And I hear the ground just fart, you know? It's like, it just goes like, <laughs> and it starts letting me go. It's like, that's all they needed to do is just let a little bit of that out of there. And I get out and I'm coated in mud and everything. They're like, hey, why don't you take a little break? I left. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not taking a break. This is it for the day. Plus, they would have ragged me all day about this. There's no possible way I'm staying with these guys for the rest of the day. Like, I got in my car completely chest down in mud. They, they offered to hose me off and everything. I was like, I don't care. I don't care. This is my car. My parents can't get that mad and everything. Whatever. I put a T-shirt that I had in there over the top part of the seat, laid something else down in the other, and just went home coated in mud in shame, right? And it was all because I thought I made this mess. One, I'm kind of ashamed that somebody would find me here. I'm going to work hard to get out of it myself. This is exactly how the human race started off, by the way. Everything's perfect. (coughs) They can take a lunch break whenever they want to. As a matter of fact, God said, of all the trees and all this garden, you can have any of them, any of them, whatever you want, except for this one tree. Like sometimes we're like, why, why, did God, why did God put a tree in the garden? If you know this story of Adam and Eve, why put a tree in the garden that if they eat it, that they'll actually die? They eat it like the world will get worse and everything. Why put that there in the first place? It wasn't like he's just like, okay, you're here in this garden. Here's the food off limits. He's like, no, no, no. This is like, I'm telling you there's one menu item you can't have and literally everything else you can have. Enjoy it all. There's even a tree of life that if you eat from, the Bible says you live forever. That's the tree I'd be snacking on all the time. It'd be like heavenly cliff bars. You know, like you're like, I just need some sustainable energy for eternity, right? I'm gonna eat some life, this whatever the, the fruit, the tree of life fruit is. In Revelation, it actually says that it has 12 different fruits, one every month. So every month you're like, what's the fruit of the month? Coconuts, you know, like get a knife, right? I mean, like every single month, a different fruit. It's cool. But there's this other tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's like, if you eat that, you'll die. Now they didn't die the day they ate of it. They started to die. So that's the thing about everybody in this room, not to get morbid, not to take it to a dark place, but you're all dying, right? So like, this is, there's no other way to say it. I'm dying, you're dying, we're all on the way to the grave. And that is just like, you're like, oh, you're getting so big. You know, like when you see like a little kid and everything, it's like, yes, he's dying, right? So like, <laughs> this is what happens. You know, the baby, not so much, but the 12 year old, oh, he's on his way, right? And then we're getting closer and closer to this because it's part of the penalty of sin. This one thing we weren't supposed to do. Now, if God hadn't have put that tree there, you'd still have Adam and Eve and probably a lot of other people, if they had kids, they'd all be there. Everybody'd be hanging out, right? And everybody living forever. This one family holding it together. 
if they didn't eat from this tree. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. When I married my wife, when I asked her to marry me, if I got down on my knees and opened that ring up, which I did, and in my other hand, I had a gun, <laughs> I would never know to this day whether she really could have said no. Like, I didn't give her much of a choice. It's like, you will marry me, <laughs> won't you? Say it. Say it now. All right? Like, I'd be like, okay, my wife loves me. And you're like, does she, though? <laughs> Weren't you the gunpoint fiancé? That's not cool, right? But because I asked her and gave her a choice, because I didn't bring a gun to a proposal, I know that my wife could have said no. I didn't do it in public either. By the way, the people who do it in public and put it on the jumbotron at basketball games, your wife potentially, if that's the person you asked, didn't have really much to say no either. And if she did, you're never getting married. And <laughs> like everybody's like, it's the guy. <laughs> yeah. Just keep him rejected, right? So like I asked in private so she could say no and nobody would ever know. Be our, my word against hers. So It'd be like, ask her to marry me? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, I'm just kidding. So God wanted to know, and he already knows, but if we had to serve him because we had no other, no other option, Adam and Eve would still be serving God and living forever. But he gave them another option. There was this, this, this tree that says, okay, it's, it's a tree of life. Keep eating from this. And this friendship, this relationship, this perfection will never change. This is your opt-out. This is the exit door. The signs are clearly marked. If you eat from this, right? Our relationship ends. Your body isn't perfect anymore because in a, if you're perfect, you would choose to be with the perfect God. An imperfect decision, therefore, by default, makes you imperfect now. And once you're imperfect, you can't be in the presence of perfection because you would pollute the perfection. That's kind of how God's working on this term here. And so they had to go. And it's amazing that God didn't just start over because if I'm God at this point, I just start over. I have made Play-Doh items before that didn't turn out. I squish it, put it back in a ball and make something else, right? If you put the pieces on Mr. Potato Head and it doesn't look so good, pull them off, put them where they go, right? If it just has googly eyes, turn it in, get a thousand points, right? I mean, whatever. Like if you make something and it doesn't turn out how you like it, you don't have to keep it. And here God made us, and there was something about how God made us in his image that he wanted to keep going and pursuing us even though we had messed up. That's how much he loves us. His justice wouldn't allow him to just overlook sin, but his love wouldn't allow him to just say, okay, you're all doomed. So he sends Jesus to be perfect so he could give his perfection to us in exchange for our sins so we could be in the presence of God again. So that the penalty for sin would be met through the death of Jesus and God's love would be met by making us whole again. It's pretty cool. C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia guy, he called it the great exchange. His sin, our sin, excuse me, for his righteousness. Pretty cool exchange. And in Hebrews, and I, and I hesitated here, because I know some of you guys probably have never been to church or you don't go to church and things like that. And some of you have gone every day since you, you, know, you were in your mom, right? <laughs> You're like nine months before I was born, I was in church. I don't know what they were doing, but I'm pretty sure they were giving goldfish to kids in the nursery. I could hear them through my mother, right? Like, give me some goldfish there. That's, what, that's when they're kicking in there. Like, give me the goldfish, right? <laughs> and wherever you are with this thing, with this Christian thing, with Jesus, with church and all that, 
Like, I, I know some of you guys probably aren't super familiar with it. There was a girl that a, a counselor brought up to me a couple years ago here at River Valley, right back in the back corner. And she said she had never heard before that Jesus had died on the cross. Not that she could be saved through it, but she had never heard that he died on the cross. Had, she had seen crosses, but she had never seen like a crucifix, like a cross with somebody on it. So she never asked the question. She just grew up in a house where they didn't talk about it. And I was like, whoa. So I can't, I'm not assuming anything about your knowledge of the Bible as we come into this, right? And this is a guy who used to not believe the Bible. And ad, like, I adamantly tried to disprove it as a middle schooler and early in high school, and it couldn't be done. So <laughs> we could talk about that. If you think, oh, well, here's a contradiction I found once, Nate. If you knew about this, you would be an agnostic still. Come and show me. I'd love to. Uh, because I've looked into it all my life now, and I love it, and I, I love how it's just constant truth. So I hesitate to read an entire chapter of the Bible with you guys. Because sometimes we're kind of like, you know what? That could get boring but I don't think so. Like this is actually, we're talking about create, like freedom redefined tonight, freedom changed from like being able to do whatever they wanted to this. Now they were free to do whatever they wanted, even to eat the tree they weren't supposed to. They were also subject to God at the same time. So they had to follow God's rules in the garden. So they could be completely free and still be serving somebody. And sometimes we think completely free means I get to do whatever I want. But once they did whatever they wanted, they were no longer free. They were now slaves to sin. I've never met anybody who's like done drugs or like gets drunk all the time or sleeps around or whatever, who's like, you know what? I went to this party, I got drunk and I never have to get drunk again. Wait, when was the party? It was three weeks ago. I'm still drunk. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Like every time we do something that's not good for us, that we weren't designed to do, we have to keep going back to that thing to try to get the same high or fulfillment that we had before. And Jesus is like, you don't have to do that. You can be free from that stuff. So in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, and this is written to the Jews after Jesus has already died, risen from the dead, gone back to heaven. And there's a church there in Jerusalem that is kind of, somewhat struggling. And this letter comes to them from a follower of Christ <coughs> who wants to tell them who they are as a result of this. And it kind of goes back to what we had right after Adam and Eve fell and how God communicated with man. And he gave us a law to follow that really was too hard to follow. Like I have messed it up big time. It said not to lie in that law. And I've lied. It said not to steal enough still said not to disobey your parents and that was daily right so like i mean all this stuff we're not supposed to do and i find myself guilty of all those things and then we're like well i haven't killed anybody and jesus is like if you're hating people in your heart it's like murdering them in your heart and i'm like yeah almost got away with one you know like ah all these things and so in hebrews chapter 10 we're going to go through this it says the law all those rules was, is a, only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So like it was, it was showing you like perfection would look like this, but it was just a shadow of it. If you ever try to catch your shadow, it's hard to do, right? It's very hard to do. If you run the other way, it's chasing you, scary, right? All right. For this reason, it can never 
by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. They would sacrifice. They'd bring a lamb. And so I was going to bring this big stuffed lamb I have, but he's too big to fit in the car with all our stuff. And like, I mean, it's a big honking lamb. It's like a Melissa and Doug thing. You could probably sit on it. Anyways, I did, I'd bring it in here and talk about how they killed them. And that was just kind of like, you know, a downer. So I didn't bring it. Right? So by sacrifices year after year, it didn't really take anything away. And then it says this, otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? They would have just sacrificed a sheep once and been like, look, we're all forgiven. They had to keep coming because they kept messing up over and over again. It's like if I, if I did something really wrong to you, what's your name? Katie. So I did something really wrong to Katie took all their food when she went up to go to the bathroom and I just ate it all. And they came back and they're like, okay, we're out of food in the kitchen. And everybody's like, Nate did it. And, I, and Katie's like, you're not even sorry, Nate. And I'm like, well, I apologized to you yesterday about something different. And I don't think I need to keep apologizing to you. And you're like, you wronged me again. Apologize, right? That would make sense, right? I should apologize and be like, I'm so sorry. You can have my food now, all right? And the scum. You know, no, like, and just, just share with her as a result. They kept messing up. So they had to keep this whole system that showed over and over again that they weren't perfect. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all if it worked and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Like there's no way. You can't be like, ha ha, ha ha, I really wronged you, so this goat must die, right? Like, no, 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 you wronged me. This is just symbolic of the fact that you deserve death, that I'm the one who needs to pay for doing the wrong thing. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, talking about God but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So Jesus is like, if these sacrifices won't work, I'll be the sacrifice. I'm human so I can take their place. I'm infinitely God so it can apply to everybody. It's a pretty cool deal. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here am I, I've come to do your will. So he sets aside the first to establish the second. He's like, you don't have to do this anymore. I'm going to do it once and for all. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Holiness sometimes has a bad connotation because we're like, ooh, that guy acts so holy. He's holier than thou. Her genes are holy. Look at those holes. I'm just kidding. No, like we think of holy as like, they think they're better than everybody. And holy simply means to be set apart. So I'm going to use this for something different. We're going to use you later for something awesome. You're set apart. All right. It's kind of like if your mom was like, you can get in the creek this week, but use your creek shoes. And you got brand new Jordans and you just go down in there and you're like, and you come back home and they're ruined. She's like, I just bought you those. What happened? You're like, well, they said you had to wear shoes in the creek and I didn't want to walk back to my dorm and blah, blah, blah. Here we are, right? Your mom's not happy because the Jordans were set apart for something different. Like not for walking in a creek. The creek shoes were set apart for walking in the creek. So you're set apart for something different if you know Jesus. That's what he's saying here, that, that he could make us holy. 
All right? Day after day, it says in verse 11, wait, did I read it all? Yes, I did. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices with which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And you might think, wow, that's kind of harsh. He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. He's like, ah, ha, ha, my enemies. No, no, no. The Bible says that we're enemies of Christ before we come to him. That means diametrically opposed to. We're not doing the same things. To be a footstool is to be subject to, like, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to listen. He's waiting for more people to come to him. That's what that means. It doesn't mean he's waiting to stomp on people or rub his dirty feet on them, right? That's not it. He's waiting for us to stop being opposed to him and to be subject to him and say, you know what? I want to find freedom in being bound to you. There's freedom in it. The most bound anybody ever was to one person having to tell them what to do was Adam and Eve in the garden, but they were also the most free that they'd ever been. They worked together. That's why we have this topic of freedom bound. Because you're like, wait a minute, if you're bound, you're not free. Maybe we're bound to be free. Maybe we're free to be bound. I don't know. You're like, yeah, that's what it actually means. And then for by one sacrifice in verse 14, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. And that's actually a reference to the Old Testament. This is a prophecy about what Jesus would do. Then he adds this, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. I won't hold it against you. I'm not going to bring it up and be like, remember that one time? You have a friend like that? They've already forgiven you, but they're like, remember that one time? Right? Jesus doesn't do that. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So somebody who follows Jesus is viewed as perfect by God, even though we're not perfect. Like I mess up all the time, but God would say, Nate is perfect. And my wife would be like, have you met Nate? (laughs) I'm just kidding. So like he considers it that way because it's like he took everything out of my file and put everything in that Jesus did. And he put everything I did in the file with Jesus. And then Jesus on the cross shredded that file. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna take away all this stuff that Nate did that was keeping him guilty. And I'm gonna give him all the good things that I did. It doesn't mean I'm gonna start living perfect right away or doing all the right things, but God's gonna start working on me to change me towards what I'm supposed to be. Still never gonna be perfect in this life, right? Not on, not on earth anyway, because I'm human and not perfect, as I clearly said before. Therefore, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, it always means look back at what it just said. Because because of everything I've just said, therefore, brothers and sisters, that would be us, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The most holy place was part of their temple back then that nobody could go in except the high priest once a year to atone for the sins of the people. Now he's like, you can enter God's presence anytime. When you guys came up here a little while ago and sang songs to God, <clears throat> it's like, you just come on in to the holy place. Let's just, when you can pray, you just pray. You don't have to be like, ah, oh, I need somebody to pray for me. Nate, can you pray for me? I can pray for you, but you can also pray for you. 
You can enter the holy place of God. By a new and living way, he's opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. When they went into that holy place, there was a 30-foot thick veil. It was like, like at a play where they would open up the curtain, but it was one solid curtain. And when Jesus died on the cross in the book of Matthew, it says it was ripped from top to bottom. Like God was like, yeah, anybody can come to me now because of what Jesus did. They would go in there and they would sprinkle the blood of a sheep once a year on the Ark of the Covenant to symbolize that, hey, we're sorry for our sins and everything. Even though it wasn't a once and done, it was a shadow of the things to come. It's like our hearts have been sprinkled instead. And God's like, Jesus's blood applies to you, which is a pretty cool thing to have applied to us. So because of this, let us hold unswervingly. Have you used that word lately? Unswervingly. How am I going to get back to my dorm tonight? Unswervingly, that's how. No one shall dissuade me from my quest. All right. This is the word we don't use much, but here it is. Unswervingly. I got lost here. Sometimes my ADHD, LMNOP, what are we talking about? Will get me messed up, right? So, back to unswervingly. Where are you? What verse are we in? What is going on? It's not up there anymore. What? 23. Okay, there may be more verses that I didn't give them. I think that's the case. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Horsemanship people, what are spurs for? What, what are spurs for? Yeah, just a little nudge. Get moving, horse, right? This is saying of each other, we should spur each other on. Not necessarily kick each other with metal things on our boots, but it's saying, eat, like, come on, let's do it. Let's get some good things going here. If we know Jesus, then we want to do the things that he's called us to. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, some of you guys, and I'm gonna end with this, some of you guys might come in every year to River Valley Ranch. Several of you raised your hand. And this might be, or might be for the first time, the closest you felt to God ever. And that's not, and then you go home each year and that goes away and that feeling goes away. Has anybody ever experienced that? You feel like you're like the spiritual high and then it goes away, all right? I know people who've spoken at camps before who've decided not to speak at camps anymore because they're afraid of the camp high and they're like, it, it must just be this, this weird thing. We get caught up in the moment. Nothing's, God's not really doing anything. But here's the thing. We prioritize different things at camp, don't we? We prioritize fun like crazy, which is a good thing. We don't always do that in life. We prioritize fellowshipping and breaking bread together and eating together, which is important. As a matter of fact, if you eat at home with your family once a week around the table at your house and have conversations, the chances of you getting pregnant before you're married, of you going to jail, of you dropping out of school, of you doing drugs and everything statistically falls through the floor just for people who eat with their family. It's important that we eat together and break bread. So we prioritize that at camp. We prioritize worship at camp, getting in the word at camp. All the rhythms that God wants you to do throughout your life, we prioritize for a week and then we go home and we don't prioritize them. We put other priorities in and we wonder why we don't feel the same. 
The reason you feel close to God at camp is not because of camp. It's because of the rhythms that camp is showing us that are biblical rhythms that we should have in our life all the time. If you were in the word at home and you hung out with people who sharpened you and spurred you on towards good works and loved the same Jesus that you love, and you got together with them on a regular basis and you worship God and you, you took time for that and you made sure that you're eating with other people that, that sharpened you and that made you stronger in your faith, this would not be something that goes, mm, but everything else comes back. All the distractions come back. The first one, distraction that's gonna come back is the moment you get your phone back. And it's not a bad thing to have a phone. I have a phone. They didn't take mine, right? Um, so I have to prioritize in my daily life. I have zero games on my phone, which really I thought would be the most boring thing ever. I took them off a few years ago um, because I realized that I was playing a game for like three hours straight and I'll never get those three hours back. And I thought of some other things you could do within three hour period that are important in life. And that game wasn't one of them. And it was only cool during that time. If I mentioned the game now, you'd be like, that game's lame. Of course it is now. What is it? Uh, I'm not going to. You're just gonna have to wonder. So. So maybe I'll, remember, I'll bring it up tomorrow. But for now, we're going to close in prayer because there's more stuff to be done. And if you think about that game too long, your brain will melt. Well, my brain already melted. You want to know what game it was? Yes! I bet you do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for each and every person here. Lord, I thank you that you have, um, you have paved the way for us to truly be free. Lord, that our freedom wouldn't come by ignoring who you are, but it would come by saying, I want to serve you, God, forever. And that we'd be free from the things that constantly pull at us, the things that we do sometimes that aren't good things, but we seem like we keep doing the same things over and over again because we've become slaves to those things. And you've come to set us free from all of that. We thank you that in creation, you didn't create robots. You created people with a choice of whether to follow you or not. Lord, I pray that there's some listening to my voice that would make that choice this week to follow you to turn it over to you and to allow you to change their life, to consider them perfect even though we're not, to take our sins even though we don't deserve you to take them, and to pay for them by what you did on the cross. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.